There's a story uh, that Christina Baldwin tells of a, st of a tribe in southern Africa called the Babemba tribe. And whenever someone in the tribe breaks the social net of connection, all of the work in the village comes to a stop. Everyone gathers around the offender, and one by one they begin to recite everything that person has done right in their life. Every good deed, thoughtful behavior, social act of social responsibility, they have to be true about this person, spoken honestly, but this time-honored consequence of breaking with community has this beautiful effect of instead of punishing and sending someone away when they do something wrong, that person is put in the center of community and reminded of who they are and reminded of the story of their lives and reminded of the goodness that is within them and why they are important to the life of that village. Stories remind us of who we are. Stories ground us in the reality in which we live. There's a difference between a story and what actually happened. Have you noticed that? Even if the story is factually based even if the story is exactly right, there's a difference of a story and the facts. Stories are how the facts and events live in our body and in our imagination, how they inform our memory, how it draws us into the future. Christina Baldwin follows up, follows up with this story saying, I want to live in such a practice of compassion. When I forget my place, when I lash out with some private wounding in a public way, I want to be remembered back into alignment with myself and my purpose. I want to live with the opportunity for reconciliation. When someone around me is thoughtless or cruel, I want to be given the chance to respond with a ritual that creates the possibility of reconnection. I want to live in a neighborhood where people don't shoot first, don't sue first, where people are story catchers, willing to discover in strangers the mirrors of themselves. I love that idea of how story can heal us, how it brings us back into community. And indeed, in this psalm for today, Psalm 105, that's what's happening. The, the psalmist recalls the history of Israel verse by verse by verse. The psalmist remembers how a famine in the land opened up a seat for Joseph, the youngest bullied son of Jacob, to take a seat with the ruling empire of Egypt. The psalmist reminds the people of Israel how their slavery in Egypt opened up into freedom. The psalmist reminds them how they were wandering in the wilderness, hungry and scared and lost, but God brought provision. Listen in on these verses, verses 39 to 42. 
God spread a cloud as a curtain and fire to light up the night as they were wandering in the desert. They asked, and God brought the quail. And with bread from the heavens, God sated them. God opened the rock, and water flowed. It went forth in parched land as a stream. For God recalled his holy word with Abraham, his servant. What captured my attention in this litany of what God did for and with Israel was not only the ways that Israel was saved by the story, but that God was saved in some ways by the story too. Did you hear that? God recalled his holy word. God also is remembering that God is caught up in this story with Israel. God, the story in God's heart and God's mind is what, what propels God forward to be with Israel, to provide for them. And the story gives God the strength to stay in relationship, even despite their complaining, despite their doubt, despite all of the ways they were doubting and going a different way. So story impacts us. Story impacts God. Story helps us stay in community. There's a reason why families sit around the table and, watch, and talk about the same stories over and over. Have you ever, do you, I don't know if you come from a storytelling family. I know one family I have heard their stories like five times because every time I go over to their house, they tell the same stories over and over. <laughs> but there's this deep sense of these are our stories and we tell them to each other over and over. That's why I love sitting with you all and hearing your stories and how you define yourself. It's why we look at old photos. I loved when my daughter was home uh, for Christmas on the last day that she was there, she asked us to pull out the family videos. And uh, so we sat and watched these, these videos together as a family, and it, it was a reminder of our story together. We are story-making creatures. And we make stories in our mind all the time. This is a classic example, but one that um, continues to be important to me uh, week by week is when I'm driving, and someone is driving obnoxiously, and um, cutting me off, you know, uh, what is the story? I make a story in my head about that person every time. And usually the story is like, what a jerk, you know? What are they thinking? And every once in a while I think to myself, maybe there's a medical emergency. Maybe they've had a really bad day. Maybe they're under a ton of pressure from work. Maybe they haven't learned how to deal with their anger. And maybe there's a reason for compassion. Instead of just labeling that story as that guy was a real jerk because he cut me off. The stories we tell, though, change how we live. They change us inside. And Israel has such a deep entrenchment in their story. Their story was an alternative to the dominant story of their day, to the story of empire, to the story of greed, to the story of violence, to the story of injustice. As they were living in those stories, they told themselves a different story. That in the place of wilderness, God is still abundant. In the place of scarcity, there is enough. That slavery can end in freedom. 
that where all seems lost, God may be found. These stories influence our lives. I just, uh, many of you have been recommending to me that I go see Biggest Little Farm. And so I finally got a chance to do that uh, this weekend. Who's seen it? Yeah, great. I think you recommended it to me, Sally. We're one of the people. Um, it's this wonderful story about this couple who buys a farm in Southern California and really starting with um, dirt that had no nutrients in it and that was just clods of of caked mud, they begin to completely change uh, the, the soil and the environment of this piece of land by biodynamic farming and by this deep belief in the story that everything belongs, that everything can work together, that even when they encounter pests and predators and drought, that they could continue to find ways to work with the earth. And it's this beautiful story that um, is not a story of perfection or necessarily all happily ever after, but this beautiful, this beautiful description of what can happen when someone lives in a different kind of story and believes that, that something is possible and continues to live in that day after day after day. And that's what the Israelites were recounting. That's what is offered to us in our faith, is a story that is big enough to live in, a story that is big enough for forgiveness, a story that is big enough for redemption and reconciliation and healing and wholeness and justice, a story that keeps you going even when things seem like They'll never work out. We'll never find a way through. A story that keeps you moving with the next step and the next step and the next step. So the invitation this morning is to consider what stories are you telling yourself? And what stories are you living in? Are they stories of control? Are they stories of anxiety or fear? Stories of a worth that is dependent on performance or appearance. Stories of perfectionism, people-pleasing, being a victim, scarcity, domination, consumerism. Or, have you taken up the invitation, yet again, of the story that this table tells us? The story of a feast, a feast in which we are invited to, to gorge ourselves on liberation, on friendship, on embrace, on enough, on abundance, on a love that is stronger than death. It seems all of their hymns this morning, um, well, we have this beautiful contemporary song of oceans, and, but all of the other hymns are songs from my childhood. <laughs> and um, it's been really wonderful for me to, to sing some of those and prepare for this morning thinking about these because they're songs I haven't sung in a long time. Songs that I'm not sure I believe all the words in them anymore after too much theological education. <laughs> And yet songs that are part of my story and songs that my grandparents sang 
and songs that I sang with the community that helped form me. And songs are a reminder of a story that is larger than, than my theological particularities or larger than a denomination. And so this morning, um, we're going to sing a song that Jim Harrington recommended for us this summer to sing, um, The Old Rugged Cross. It also happens to have been my grandmother's favorite hymn. Um, it's a story of a God that became a man that was willing to suffer and to, in order to be with us. It's a story of a God who is with us in our darkest moments story that is written in a moment of terror and fear and death, a story that comes, becomes redemption and healing and wholeness. So the hymn is in your bulletin. We'll sing the first and the last verse together. Would you stand and sing Old Record Cross? Mm-hmm. 